We are so glad you've joined us here this morning in the room and also online. And we're wrapping up today our sermon series entitled Outside the Box. You've encouraged us over the last six weeks to to look at things in our life and and, and God's call upon our lives. And today, I want to challenge all of us to think how God can use your redemption story for his glory. Your redemption story for his glory. And if you don't have a redemption story, it is my prayer that today you will discover through the grace of God, your redemption story. A couple of years ago, we were blessed to have former Major League Baseball player Dale Strawberry here at Mount Horeb to share his redemption story at a breakfast. This week, he shared his story at Columbia International University. Dale Strawberry played 17 seasons in the Major Leagues. And during his playing days, he abused alcohol and drugs. He told his wife, He told how his wife helped guide him out of his darkness. A journey to the cross, he said, that began 21 years ago. I was shooting dope and smoking crack. I was $3 million in debt. I didn't have a driver's license. And my wife was banging on doors and pulling me out saying, God has a plan for you. And I said, why don't you and your God leave me alone and let me die? And she said, you're not that lucky. So everybody else was laughing. Strawberry said, God used her to lead me back to the cross. And my life would change forever. On this Palm Sunday, we're reminded that Jesus was on a road from Bethany to Jerusalem. He descended the Mount of Olives and his followers were celebrating and proclaiming him to be the long-awaited Messiah. He was on a journey that was going to change the world forever by changing people's lives, by giving people a redemption story. Now, our message today involves another road. It's about the man named Saul, but also known as the Apostle Paul. He was Saul because he was a Jewish citizen or born in Jewish faith. He was Paul because he was a Roman citizen. And So his names are interchangeable, Saul and Paul. So if I start interchanging them, I don't want you to get lost. Saul and Paul are the same person. But he's on a journey. He is on the Damascus Road from Jerusalem to cancel Christianity. He is on a mission to destroy the church. And we pick up his life before Jesus Christ. What was Paul's life, Saul's life, like before Jesus Christ. And maybe you can relate to this as you think about your life before Jesus Christ. I'm going to read to you from Acts 9, 1 through 2. Would you stand, if you're able, for the reading of God's word? Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any who were of the way, Whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. The word of God for the people of God. Father God, I pray that your word today would speak to us where we are. Whatever road we find ourselves on, whether we're running towards you or running away from you. Lord God, you have brought us here for a reason. It's not a mistake 
that were listening today, whether online or in this room, take my words, take my thoughts, and use them through the anointing of your Holy Spirit to speak to the people that you are trying to speak to today. And I ask all this in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So Paul's life before Jesus Christ, he was a ringleader and the mastermind behind the Jewish cancel culture. We hear that word a lot today, those two words, cancel culture. Saul was so convinced that he was right and that Jesus was wrong that he turns to anger and tries to destroy the church. We have a lot of anger in our world today. And people get angry and try to cause harm. And Saul is trying to cancel Christ. He's trying to cancel the cross. He's trying to cancel the church. And he's trying to cancel this new movement called Christianity. The story, we pick up the story back in Acts 7 where Chad did a great job preaching about the life of Stephen. And here's what's going on in Acts 7. Does it sound like a little bit today in the cancel culture world we live in? At that point, they went wild, a riding mob of catcalls and whistles, yelling and hissing. The mob drowned Stephen out. Now in full stampede, they dragged him out of town and pelted him with rocks. The ringleaders took off their coats and asked a young man named Saul, to watch them. As the rocks rained down, Saul was right there congratulating, congratulating the killers. I believe that today and Christianity is facing increased attacks from the cancel culture. I read a very troubling article this week comparing how Christians were canceled in the former Soviet Union and in the country of Hungary. And the article was how some of the same similarities we can see going on around the world today, that these Christians were imprisoned and tortured for their faith, put to death. I praise God that we live in a, in a country that celebrates religious freedom. But there is a subtle shift taking place in our world and even in our country against Christianity. And we see it especially on social media. But we shouldn't be surprised, right? We shouldn't be surprised at all that that's going on. Right after Jesus said in John's gospel, love one another, he was very blunt. He says, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. And if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. That was 2,000 years ago that Jesus made that statement. Francis Chan says, something is wrong when our lives make sense to unbelievers. Now, I believe that we need to engage the culture. We don't need to retreat from the culture. We need to engage the cancel culture with truth and grace. I love what Paul wrote, the apostle Paul wrote in his letter to Titus, to speak evil of no one to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. In our sermon prep this week, Chad 
Myers said, the cancel culture does not need to be canceled. It needs the cross. The cancel culture needs the cross. The ultimate cure for the cancel culture is conversion to Jesus Christ. That's exactly how Jesus met Saul, the, the, the ringleader of the Jewish cancel culture on the Damascus Road. Let me read the account to you again in Acts 9. As he journeyed, as Saul came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? Then the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And so he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Then the Lord said to him, arise and go into the city, and you'll be told what you must do. And the men who journeyed with him stood speechless, speechless, hearing a voice but seeing no one. Then Saul arose from the ground, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no one. But they led him by hand, by the hand, and brought him into Damascus. And he was three days without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Now Saul's conversion is perhaps one of the most famous conversions in church history. We know what his life was like before Jesus, and now we hear how he encountered Jesus, how he met Jesus. Luke includes this story three times in the book of Acts, and several times in Paul's writings, he tells about his conversion on the Damascus Road. It's a, it's a miracle story. There was no humans involved. It was the Spirit of God that came upon him on this Damascus Road, blinded in the middle of the day by a light brighter than the sun. And the first question came from Jesus. Saul, why are you persecuting me? Why are you trying to cancel me? Why are you trying to stop the movement of God? And the second question came from Saul. Who are you, Lord? Now that was a question based on fear, not on faith. Who are you? And listen carefully what Jesus said, cancel culture. Jesus said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. And right in that moment, when Jesus revealed who he was, Paul or Saul, either one, same name, I mean, same person, different name, knew that he was wrong. He knew that this Jesus who he thought was dead was indeed alive. And because Jesus was alive, every claim he made was true. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Church, I want you to hear this this morning. When we wound each other in the church, we are wounding Jesus. When we are persecuting believers, we are persecuting Jesus. Now, I'm all for constructive criticism. I welcome constructive criticism, but I do not welcome, and we should not welcome, destructive criticism. The, 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 the words that tear down God's people, tear down God's church. Now, we are not always going to agree on everything, but the, I believe there are essentials that we need to agree on, and there are non-essentials that we can learn to disagree without causing harm to each other. 
Now, I believe that Saul's encounter with Jesus did not begin on the Damascus Road. There's this interesting phrase here in this chapter where he says, Jesus says, it's hard to kick against the goads. G-O-A-D-S. How many of you know what a goad is? How many of you have a goad? Probably nobody in this room or listening has a goad. A goad was a long, extremely sharp stick that, you, that the farmer used to get an ox to go where he wanted him to go when he was plowing. He would jab the hind legs of the ox until the ox would go where he was supposed to go. And, and God, in his love and his grace, when he tries to get us to go where he wants us to go, he will use goads. Now, what are some goads that God would use? I believe that God will use a sermon. He will use a song. He will use suffering. He'll use adversity. He'll use holy confrontations. He will use holy conversations. He will use the conviction of the Holy Spirit. He will use signs and wonders to prod us, to, to goad us into paying attention. And I believe for, for Saul, that happened several times. Perhaps when, he, when Saul was in Jerusalem, I'm sure he heard Jesus preach. I'm sure he heard about the miracles of Jesus. And even though he didn't believe in Jesus and he thought Jesus was totally wrong, there was something that began to work in his heart. You know, as Wesleyans, as Methodists, we believe in something called preventing grace. It is the grace of God that works in us before we believe. And again, if you're here listening today or listening online, perhaps God has been speaking to you, prodding you, goading you, trying to convince you, and you keep resisting. You keep being stubborn. And maybe Saul was present at Jesus' trial in Jerusalem. Maybe he voted to put him to death. Maybe he cheered when they said, crucify him. And then we know in the, the, the seventh chapter, in the eighth chapter, that Saul was present when the first martyr was stoned to death. He approved of it. But even then, I believe that the Holy Spirit was speaking into Saul's life. Gradual grace, sometimes gentle grace, prodding grace. And I make no mistake, the Holy Spirit is at work in every person in this room. Whether you are a believer or not a believer, whether you're a follower of Jesus or you're going the other direction, the Holy Spirit is working in you. Make no mistake about it. Faith is not original with us. It always comes from God's spirit, wooing faith into existence. So today, maybe as I'm speaking, God will remind you of how he's been trying to reach you. That situation, that incident, those circumstances, God is getting your attention. Now, we may not all have a Damascus Road story, but we all need to have a personal encounter with Jesus if we're going to be the follower of Jesus, we've got to have a personal encounter with Jesus Christ. And one final question from Saul. He said, Lord, what do you want me to do? See, when you come to that point of surrendering your life to God, you ask the question, what do you want me to do? What's the purpose of my life? And pretty much the rest of the New Testament is about Paul discovering what Jesus wanted him to do.
I want to take just a few moments and a few minutes and tell some stories. I want to tell the story of Augustine, one of the famous theologians in the early church. As a teenager, he quickly abandoned the faith of his Christian mother and began to follow the ways of his pagan father. At the age of 15, he had a mistress. By his own account and his own confessions, he was involved in orgies and drunkenness and other illicit behavior. He was living in bondage and agony. He knew what he was doing was not bringing meaning to his life. He felt the goading of God. And one day he went out behind his house and sat down under a tree. He was full of guilt, full of anger, full of agony. And he was so agitated, Augustine wrote, that he started pulling his hair out. He was tormented. He knew that there was emptiness inside of him. And he began to cry out the words from Psalm 13. How long, Lord? How long do I got to go through this? This misery, the, the searching for answers in all the wrong places. And maybe you've prayed that prayer. Asking for God to intervene in your situation. And Augustine heard a little voice. Like the voice of a child singing. And this is what the child said. Tole lege, tole lege. Which is Latin for take up and read. And that's exactly what Augustine did. He picked up a Bible and he read. He just did, he did what I call Bible roulette, right? You know what Bible roulette is. It's when you just take the Bible and you just open it up and go, okay, God, what do you want to say to me? Not the best way to, to read your Bible, but that's what he did. And guess where his Bible fell open to? Romans 13, 13 and 14. Let us walk properly in, as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ. You've heard the phrase jumping off the page at you? Those words jumped off the page to Augustine and he immediately gave his life to Christ. And here's what he wrote. When I read those words, listen to this. When I read those words, I had no desire, no, read, no need to read further. In the instance that sentence ended, it was, as if, it was as if a peaceful light shone in my heart and all the darknesses of doubt vanished. You see, Augustine had a Damascus Road experience whenever a, a voice he heard led him to Romans, the book of Romans, and then God shone a light into his heart. He returned home, gave all he had to the poor, was consecrated bishop of Hippo in 395 and became one of the most prolific Christian philosophers and defenders of the early church against heresy. John Wesley was a very religious man. Got up every morning at four o'clock to pray, but he had no assurance of his salvation. He was on a ship crossing from Georgia back to England when a great storm came and he, he was afraid for his life and he saw some Christians who were singing and, and, and hymns and praying and they weren't afraid. But Wesley was afraid that if he died, he didn't know where he would spend eternity. And one evening he was walking down a road called Aldersgate in London. When he entered a, a Moravian gathering where someone was reading Paul's letter to the book of Romans and he wrote, I went in very unwillingly, but that night, as, as someone read from the book of Romans, 
he felt his heart changed. He felt his heart strangely warmed. And God gave him the assurance of salvation. He moved from religion to personal relationship. And God used him to bring a revival to England and then to the United States. A personal encounter with God. A Damascus Road experience that was totally different. Now, maybe you've heard the name C.S. Lewis, the author of the Chronicles of Narnia, a tremendous writer and one of the most famous Christian writers ever. Did you know that C.S. Lewis was once an atheist? He was a professor at Oxford. And in 1931, he was having an all-night conversation with another professor named J.R.R. Tolkien. And they were talking about myths and metaphors. And Tolkien told Lewis he believed that Jesus Christ was real. And nine days later, nine days after that conversation, C.S. Lewis was riding in his brother's sidecar in a motorcycle going to a new zoo that had opened. And on the way there, he said, something changed in my life. When I left my home to the zoo in the sidecar of my brother's motorcycle, I did not believe in the divinity of Jesus Christ. But when I got to the zoo, I believed. That was his conversion story. That God moved in his life, convinced him that Jesus Christ was real from the time he left his house to where he was going on a road. Pretty amazing story, right? God works in, in, in incredible ways in our lives. Whenever I was 14 years old, I was not a believer in Jesus. I didn't go to church. My family didn't go to church. And I was afraid that if I went to sleep and I died, I didn't know what was going to happen to me. So at the age of 14, I began to be scared to die. I was, I was afraid of death. And, and, and my neighbor who lived across the road invited me to go to a revival where her son was the evangelist. And so at the age of 14, I went to the little Baptist church in Russell, Kentucky. And, and I got scared to death as they, this evangelist preached. i never forget, he broke his watch on the pulpit, right? Poof, watch whenever which way. And I was, you know, I, I was captivated, right? But he talked about Jesus Christ and that God's son was real. And that he, he came to give life. And he, and, he, and he wanted to give everyone in that room that night eternal life. So that if, if you were afraid of dying, that you didn't have to worry about that because you knew you were going to heaven. And he invited us to come forward in that little Baptist church. And I went down the aisle at the age of 14 and invited Jesus into my life. And never again have I been afraid to go to sleep because I was afraid that if I died, I now knew where I was going. I was going to heaven. So we see what Paul's life was like before Jesus, how he met Jesus, how these people met Jesus, and Paul's life after Jesus. You know, volumes have been written about Paul's life after Jesus. I'm going to give you four words that will describe Paul's life, and maybe it describes your life after Jesus. For Paul, it was powerful. Paul was baptized. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. He received power to be an incredible minister for God. 
his life was purposeful. He was a preacher. He was a teacher. He was an evangelist. He was a theologian. Dale Strawberry's life now has purpose. He travels around the, the United States sharing his story of how Jesus changed his life. C.S. Lewis' life had incredible purpose. John Wesley's life had incredible purpose. Augustine's life had incredible purpose. I believe God has given me purpose. But also, Saul's life was painful. It was not easy to be a follower of Jesus. Saul went from wanting the Christian movement to suffer to begin to suffer for the Christian movement. And no doubt about it, Paul's life after Jesus was profitable. He wrote 13 New Testament books. He took the gospel to the Gentile world and he started 13 churches. He made an impact. And each of these people I've named to you, they made an impact. And God wants you to make an impact. He put you on the planet to make an impact. A life of purpose. A life that is powerful through the Holy Spirit. And then Paul spent the rest of his life talking about Jesus. Paul's story was about Jesus. I love these words that Paul wrote in Galatians 1. He says, this great message I deliver to you is not mere human optimism. I want you to hear that. This message I'm preaching today about having a redemption story is not about being optimistic. He says, I didn't receive it through the traditions. I wasn't taught it in some school. I got it straight from God directly from Jesus Christ. So Paul's story was about Jesus. And then in Colossians, he wrote these words, use your heads as you live and work among outsiders. Don't miss a trick. Make the most of every opportunity. Be gracious in your speech. The goal was to bring out the best in others in a conversation, not put them down, not cut them out. You see, if you've been given a redemption story, if you know Jesus Christ is in your life. You have a redemption story. That Jesus' story changed your story. Somebody say amen to that. That Jesus' story changed my story. My life changed. My story changed because of Jesus Christ. And if your story is changed because of Jesus Christ, you need to share that with people. But also, Jesus' shame took away your shame. See, Saul had done a lot of bad things. He was the ringleader for the cancel culture. He had personally overseen the death of one of the early Christian leaders named Stephen. But he didn't hide his shame because he knew that Christ's shame on the cross had taken his shame. You know, my dad had done, did a lot of things in his life that he was not proud of. He was married four times. And then he became a believer in Jesus. And sometimes I would, when my dad was living, I would, I would share some of his redemption story. And he would always get a little bit nervous when I would share his redemption story because he was still ashamed of some of the mistakes he had made in his life. He said, I wish you wouldn't say that. And when I was at my dad's funeral and I spoke a few words and I shared some of his redemption story, some of his golfing buddies, guys that he had traveled all over the Southeast playing golf with, had never heard that story because my dad was ashamed of his story. And I kept telling my dad, dad, don't be ashamed because Jesus' shame took on your shame. Don't be ashamed of your past mistakes because that's what the cross did. 
in Jesus. He took away your shame. And then Jesus' scars heals your scars. All of us have got scars. I've got scars from my childhood. You've got scars in your life. But Jesus took on scars to take away your scars. A couple weeks ago, I was picking my daughter up at my daughter, my granddaughter, Harper Grace, at gymnastics. And she's a really good gymnast. I, I, I go there and watch her practice. And, and I was there watching her practice, and I realized pretty quickly she was having a bad practice. And she's really good. She scored out uh, on last week on the, on the beam at 9.7. So she's really good at this. But, but, I, but I also knew that she had this big sore on her face from impetigo from wearing a mask too much. And it was a big sore. I mean, it was like a really big sore. And I was watching her practice and she was not doing good and she was, she was falling and she was getting hurt and she was crying. And eventually the coach came over before practice was over and brought her over and says, I think maybe Harper, she probably needs to go home because she's struggling, having a bad day. And so we get in the car and we're, we're going home and usually we stop and get a chocolate milkshake, but no chocolate milkshake, you know, I want to go home. I said, Harper Grace, what's going on? He said, well, everybody thinks I'm ugly because of this thing on my face. Everybody's laughing at me. I said, Harper, nobody's laughing at you. And so we have this thing, Harper and I do now that we've been uh, picking her up at gymnastics as we, as we, as we share some Christian music together. There's a few moments I have with her to share with her. And we've been listening to, on my phone to different songs. And her favorite song is I'm Just a Nobody. So we play I'm Just a Nobody every single time. We play at least three times on the way home, and she knows all the words. And there's a phrase in that song that says, and you put a song in my heart. And I said, Harper Grace, do you have a song in your heart today? I don't think so, J. Paul. No song in the heart today. I says, well, is Jesus in your heart? Yes, J. Paul, Jesus is in my heart. Well, Harper Grace, and this is the moment, you know, because I'm, you know, I'm, 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 a grand, I'm a grandfather pastor here, you know, and, and uh, and, and, and I love my grandkids. And I said, Harper Grace, can you tell me when Jesus came into your heart? He says, J. Paul, Jesus came into my heart when I went down to the front of the church. And, and it was on Easter. And I knelt down here at the front of the church with my mommy. And I invited Jesus into my heart. And one of our friends that Sunday morning two years ago, when Harper was seven, took that picture. And we framed that picture. And that picture is in, in, in the little bedroom that Harper Grace stays in when she stays with us. So she can see every time she comes a picture of when she invited Jesus into her heart. And, and now, today, we can do the same thing. All of us are on a road to somewhere. I know you got on a road to come here today, but your life is on a road and it's going somewhere. Maybe it's a road that is full of pain Maybe it's a road full of anguish. Maybe you feel like pulling your hair out. Maybe you're battling with an addiction. Maybe you're dealing with doubt and confusion. Maybe you don't even sure if God's real or not. But you're on this road. And I want you to know that Jesus is on the road with you. A few weeks ago, Zach Williams and Dolly Parton received a Grammy for the Contemporary Christian Song of the Year. It's one of the songs that Harper Grace and I play in the car on the way home from gymnastics. Zach Williams, who wrote the song, was here at Mount Horb a couple years ago. 
and he shared his story that he grew up in a Christian home. He went on to play college basketball, but he got injured. And while he was injured and recovering, he started learning to play the guitar. And then he formed a Southern rock band that was pretty good. And after a couple of years of touring on the road and living the lifestyle of a rock star, doing all the things that rock stars do, he began to realize that his life was falling apart. There was something missing in his life. He was on the, on the road touring in Europe when he called his wife and said, I'm coming home and we're going to go back to church and I want God to be first in our lives and God first in our family. And so Zach Williams went back to a little church and that church started a new church plant and they asked Zach Williams to lead worship in that little church and the rest is history. God began to take his life and use it to change the world. And he says, where I've come from and where I am today is a testimony of God's power. Lives can truly change. Lives can truly change if you trust God with your life. And he gave me a story for his glory. You know, Dolly Parton also won a Grammy on that song. She's had, she has 11 Grammys, but at the age of 74, it was her first number one Grammy for a Christian song. And she said this, having a number one song anytime is a great thing, but having a number one faith-based record during these crazy times is even greater. I love the words from that song. Every time I tried to make it on my own. And some of you in this room this morning are trying to make it on your own. You're listening, trying to make it on your own. Every time I tried to stand and start to fall and all those lonely roads that I've traveled on, there was Jesus. There was Jesus. The road you're on today, there was Jesus. He's there with you. He's reaching out to you. He's speaking to you. Father God, I pray that you would continue to move through your Holy Spirit across this room. That there is a scripture verse that was read a song from a verse that was sung, a word that I said this morning that, that is speaking to someone who's on a road going nowhere. And Father God, I pray that as we spend these next few minutes in your presence, that you, Father God, would change our lives. Father, I pray right now for anyone in this room that knows that the road they're on is the road to nowhere. Father, your word tells us right now if we would confess our sins to you and ask you to forgive you, forgive us, that you'll do that. If we open our heart to you, you'll come into our lives. And I pray that we would do that right now. Thank you, Father God, for changing so many lives and changing lives here today. In Jesus' name I pray.